Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. We continue our series in Colossians, Continuing Christ, this time Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 to 23, The Supremacy of Christ. Today's speaker is Peter Rogers from CMS Australia. Colossians 1, verses 15 through to 29. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he is reconciled to you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, And do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. It was great to be here and share with you about that passage. And I really do want to encourage us to think about world mission and what might motivate us to be committed to world mission. That may be to be committed to supporting missionaries going, but it also may be for some of you to think about what is the Lord putting on your heart. Perhaps you should be thinking about how you could play a part in reaching out to the nations with the gospel. So we're going to look together at Colossians chapter 1. Now let me just start by talking to you about barley. 
this is not a, this is not a promotion for a holiday. But I think that Bali pre-COVID may have been a very beautiful holiday destination. Apparently now everything's just stopped working in Bali because no one travels there during COVID. Um, I hope again that it might pick up because when we were missionaries, we were in an island to the north of that. So every time we came back to Australia, we had to travel through Bali. So we stopped in Bali and we had a holiday there. And we grew to really love love Bali and uh, we've we've enjoyed it. But I want to say that Bali whilst it may be a beautiful place, is actually a very, very hard place to do mission. It's a Hindu island. The rest of Indonesia is is, uh, primarily Islamic. But Bali is a Hindu island, and the Hindu Bali religion looks very, very attractive from the outside. And if you've ever been there, has anyone actually ever been to Bali here? Can I just say whatever I want and no one will correct me? Well, if anyone has been to Bali, you'll know what I mean because they, there's beautiful flower decorations that they put in the, in the middle of the road and then there's lots of incense and the women dress up beautifully and all of that is a facade because actually the Hindu Bali religion is very dark, it's very oppressive, it's demonic and it really enslaves people in fear. Um, let me tell you the, the story of the very first missionary to Bali. So this man's name was De Vroom and he was a Dutchman. He went to Bali in 1867 and he was there for 15 years until his death in 1881. In all that time, De Vroom had just one convert, a man by the name of Gustry. Now life was tough for Gustry, his only convert, very tough. Gustry was persecuted for his faith and unfortunately De Vroom uh, wasn't much comfort to him one day, Gustry exploded in a fit of rage and murdered De Vroom. And then that sealed Gustry's own fate. So Gustry, the one and only Christian convert, was then hung as a murderer. Now that's an awful beginning for mission in the missionaries dead and the only converts now dead. And uh, that it took many, many decades for uh, missionary work to start up again in Bali. Now, De Vroom probably wasn't the smartest missionary and he might have lacked some important pastoral skills. Uh, Maybe someone different would have done a better job. I don't really know. But this guy travelled all the way across the world, doesn't know the language, not another Christian anywhere. What a brave man to do that. What a brave man. Why would he do that? What would motivate him to travel across the world to a foreign land where there are no Christians and to put his life at risk? Or you can think of uh, missionaries today. So let me just mention one of our families, Matt and Lisa Pearson, have got five small children. They've chosen to make Gunbalanya their home. Now, Gunbalanya is an Aboriginal community east of uh, Arn in Arnhem Land, east of Kakadu. Gumbalanya is cut off by floodwaters for five months of the year. So for five months they can't get out and all those waters are crocodile infested. They've chosen to live there so that they can walk alongside Lois, who is an 80-year-old Aboriginal woman who is the pastor of the Aboriginal church. Why would they take their family to live in that place? And why should people like you support 
people like them prayerfully and financially to enable them to go. And in fact, I want to say today, why don't some of you actually think maybe that's what the Lord might be putting on your heart as well? The passage from Colossians gives us the reason and the motivation for why global mission is the business of every church and of every believer. The the Apostle Paul was fervently committed to global mission. He wanted everyone to know the gospel. Come with me to the middle of the passage we read, second half of verse 23. It's an odd place to start. Then we'll go back to the beginning in a minute. You'll see the passage come up on the screen. And this second half of verse 23, Paul says, This is the gospel that you heard, talking to the Colossians, and that has been preached to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now, when Paul says there that the gospel has been preached to every creature under heaven, of course Paul knows that not every individual person in the world has heard the gospel. The statement is way bigger than that. It's not just about every person. It's about every creature under heaven And I think what Paul is saying there is that the finished work of Christ on the cross has now been proclaimed and announced to the whole cosmos. The whole universe knows about what Christ did on the cross. But what is crystal clear from this verse is that the gospel message is for everyone. Every person under heaven, every tribe, every language, every tongue, regardless of whether that person calls on a different God or calls on many gods or doesn't believe in God, the gospel is for every person. For the Muslim person living in Saudi Arabia, for the Tibetan Buddhist living in the Himalayas, for an indigenous person that has their own ancient spirituality, Paul is clear that every person under heaven needs to hear the gospel. So I'm going to talk about, uh, from this passage, out of that verse, four things. The gospel. Why is the gospel so important that every person needs to hear this message? Then we'll look at the uh, testimony of the Colossian church themselves. Uh, We'll look then at uh, Paul's own um, example to us. He became a servant of the gospel and was willing to suffer so that people might believe. And then we'll look at the task before us. So let's go back to the beginning of our reading and talk about this gospel. Why is the gospel so important that every person must hear the gospel message? Well, verses 15 to 20 were probably a hymn that existed in the early church. Now, some passages like this can be, become so familiar to us that they lose their gravity. But to the first readers of these words, what is written here would have been inconceivable. It would have been outrageous. How can anyone write these things and say these things of another human being? But the verses are unambiguous in their claim that the man, Jesus Christ, is also the only Lord of all and the only Saviour of all. Verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We've never seen God. 
but we've seen Jesus Christ. So God is now fully revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. In Islam, God is unreachable, unknowable, distant. Christianity is altogether different from that because we believe that God has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He has bridged the gap and made himself known to us fully in Jesus. Have a look with me at verse 16 and I want you just to humour me a little as we look at verse 16 and you need to be reading it here with me but if we were to change the word him for the word God in verse 16 and I'm going to read it to you if I do that. So I'm reading verse 16 but this time I'm going to change the word every time it says him I'm going to put the word God in there. Okay, here we go. It would read like this. For in God all things were created. Things in heaven Things on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through God and for God. There's nothing incorrect about that, is there? That would, that would sound perfectly okay. But you see, a Muslim would believe exactly that. They would say, yes, God or Allah has created all things and all things were created by Allah and for Allah or God. What is extraordinary about these verses is that this is a reference to the man Jesus Christ. That certainly is not something a Muslim would agree with. It speaks of Jesus' pre-existence, that Jesus is eternal, has existed from the beginning, that all things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. The universe was established by Jesus. The planets pivot on the person of Jesus. There can only be breath in your lungs tonight because Jesus sustaining power right now. Jesus is Lord of all. The gospel must be declared to every creature because it is the declaration of who is Lord. The origins and purposes of life and of every person, is found in Jesus. He is your Lord. He is their Lord. There are no other gods, only false idols, that seek to imitate the one and only God. Then verses 18 to 20, the rest of this hymn, declare that Jesus is the one and only Saviour for all people, The verses tell us that through the blood of Jesus shed on the cross, God reconciles all things on earth and in heaven to himself. When Jesus died on the cross in some backwater in the Roman Empire, it didn't um, attract much notice from the historians of the day, but it was the event by which God reconciles the whole cosmos. The cross has power, way beyond our imaginings. Through the cross, God puts everything right and looks forward, as Paul says in Philippians, to when every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And central, we're here, we read in these verses, to all of that plan of God is the church that God is building a redeemed community, one people out of this world, one people 
of every tribe, language, nation and tongue with Jesus at the head. That is what God is doing in human history, creating a redeemed people. That is why we're involved in mission, because we are, we are inviting people to join God's people, God's redeemed community. So the gospel must be preached to every person under heaven because Jesus is the Lord and the Saviour of all. Now the Colossians don't need to look far afield to know this is true. They can look to their own experience. You think of the Colossians. They were a Gentile community. They weren't Jewish. They, were a, they, they, they had a pagan religion. They knew nothing of Jesus. Like many people groups today, and I'll talk about that later, know, who know nothing about Jesus and may never have heard of the name of Jesus. They lived in blindness. They lived in ignorance. But look at the contrast before the gospel came and after the gospel came. Verse 21, Paul writes about the Colossians. He says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behaviour. That's an awful description actually of them. Were the Colossians particularly bad, do you think? Worse than everybody else? I don't think so. This is a description of life outside of Christ. It is a description of all life outside of Christ. People are enemies of God. Uh, people are alienated from God. Enemies in their minds because of their evil behaviour. Now, I don't think they would have thought of themselves in that way before the gospel came. I don't think people today think of themselves that way who are outside of Christ. But when you live in the darkness and imagine you've never ever seen light, you would think that the darkness is, is normal. But when the light comes in, all of a sudden you see darkness for what it really is. When Epaphras brought the gospel to the Colossians, it was like the light came in and the truth came in. They believed. And their life changed forever. They were now reconciled to God. They were alienated from God and enemies in their mind. Now they're reconciled with God. That's the, the power of the blood of Christ to all those who believed. That was their experience. I hope it's your experience. Now right with God, forgiven by God, filled with the Spirit and with the hope of eternity. It is a really helpful corrective here for the secular worldview that we live in and that really wants to drag us in that sees Jesus as just one option among many. In fact, a lesser option among many. The gospel is nothing, we hear them say. But God is telling us what is real. Outside of Christ, people are alienated from God unable to grasp the truth, committed to a futile way of understanding reality and without hope. It's a harsh description of our world today and why people need to hear the gospel. Then we come to Paul's uh, own experience in the last section, verses 24 to 29. Paul, 
became a servant of the gospel. We know how Paul was converted. He's on the road to Damascus, the light. He was living in the darkness, blind. He didn't understand about Jesus, persecuting Christians, but the light came into his life and then he was commissioned by Jesus to share the gospel with the Gentiles. But that ministry of Paul was one that was very costly and brought to him great suffering. Have a look at verse 24. He immediately talks about the suffering. He says, Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. It's quite a tricky verse, that verse there, but when it says, I fill up in my own flesh what is lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions, He is not saying that Christ's sacrifice on the cross is lacking anything. That the cross of of Christ wasn't enough. The cross of Christ is sufficient to take away the sins of the whole world and reconcile all things to God. He's already just said that in verse 20. That is why we talk of the completed work of God. A work of Christ. But there is an ongoing suffering that we as Christ's followers should willingly accept as we take the message out to the world. We suffer for the sake of those who are yet to believe. We suffer for his body, it says. That is, for those who will one day belong to the church. Paul could have chosen an easier life. Paul could have chosen a more comfortable life. Many people could choose more comfortable lives. We all could choose to live in an easy way. But would would we be servants of the gospel and of Christ? Would we live following him? Listen to how Paul willingly, what Paul went through as he um, took the gospel out to the rest of the world. I'm just going to read a few verses from 2 Corinthians 11 and listen to Paul's own testimony of the suffering he experienced. This is what Paul writes. He says, five times, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've constantly been on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. Wow. Paul, Paul lived all of that because of his commitment to the gospel. Willingly accepted that suffering for the sake of those who were yet to believe. It's not easy for us to share the gospel with our neighbours. It's not easy for us to share the gospel with our friends, perhaps some of our family members, perhaps our work colleagues. Maybe we fear rejection just like Jesus was rejected. But we're unlikely to suffer physically. Elsewhere in the world, believers face significant persecution whenever they share the gospel with someone of another faith. Particularly those who have come to faith out of, out of that religion and then share their new, new faith with other people, with their own community. For many of them, they do so knowing 
that they could be killed. When we were living in Indonesia, we met a woman who was the very first convert from among her Islamic people group. The one and only first convert. Terrific. She then experienced death threats, multiple attempts on her life. Black magic and spells were cast on her. She went through enormous suffering for many years. But she suffered for the sake of her people, for the sake of others that might come to believe and for the church that eventually did grow amongst her own people. She suffered as Paul did. She suffered as Christ did. Now, Christ could have chosen an easier path when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He could have opted out of the cross, but then we would never have been saved. She chose the path of Christ willingly for the sake of others. Like her, like Paul, like so many brothers and sisters around the world today, courageous people willingly suffering to share the gospel with those that are yet to hear and yet to believe. Following the example of Christ who gave up his life for us. We must be earnestly committed to global mission. Frankly, we have it pretty easy here. We need to be committed. Not a little bit on the side, not as an optional extra to church. We need to be committed to seeing a world that knows Jesus. You know, Paul calls the gospel in verse 27, they're a mystery. By that he means, but he says, it's a mystery that once was hidden, but now it's a mystery that's been revealed. It's, it's, it's now a mystery that is opened up for the whole world to see. It's a mystery to be shared. And he says, this mystery is full of glorious riches. Just have a look at that verse there. He says, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. He struggles to find words to explain it. He simply says, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Sometimes we forget how wonderful the gospel message is and then we go quiet. We forget that what we are sharing is glorious. It is beautiful. Reconciliation with God, forgiveness, eternal life, the transforming power of God's spirit. The gospel saves us. The gospel heals. It raises up the downtrodden and abandoned. It calls for justice and rights wrongs. It frees people from fear. It frees people from revenge and the bitterness of past hurts. It changes people's habits and addictions. It replaces self-centeredness with love. CMS have workers in many parts of the world, like amongst the Aboriginal communities in Arnhem Land. I mention them specifically because this is Reconciliation Week that we're living through it this week. So let me mention them in particular. But it applies to many parts of the world, Middle East, many parts of Africa, where life is full of trauma and suffering. You know, for decades, white people have sought solutions for Aboriginal people. Uh, more often than not, they're our solutions to their problems, usually to no avail. The gospel 
brings to Aboriginal communities something that government policies and millions of dollars in funding cannot bring. Christ in them, the hope of glory. We're committed to sharing the gospel with the whole world because we're convinced of the gospel, that it is good news for all people. I remember when we were missionaries in Indonesia, a friend shared with us this story. They went into a village where they saw a woman who was demon-possessed. This is not the sort of thing that we normally see here in Sydney, but it does happen in many, many parts of the world where spiritual warfare is much more on show than what we uh, can see here. She was violent. They were afraid of this woman, so they locked her in a cage. Her fists were so clenched in the cage that her fingernails had grown through her hands. When they prayed for her in the name of Jesus, the demon left her and she was free. Her village was set free. All the people then gathered all their idols and amulets and and burnt them in a big bonfire. They experienced the glorious riches of knowing Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And they called her Grace. Let's look at the task ahead. If the gospel is to be preached to every person under heaven, how are we going? How are we doing? Paul was an amazing missionary. Great inspiration. But today we understand the world in a way that Paul couldn't have known 2,000 years ago. We know today that there are around 13,000 different people groups each with their own language and own culture. And yet I say this to our collective shame, almost half of them, half of those people groups, there is no viable Christian church. That is, amongst those people groups, there is no effective Christian church. In some of those people groups, there may be a collection of Christians. Sometimes those Christians are driven underground because the church is so persecuted or or Christianity is illegal. But in other places, there simply are very few believers at all that they have no impact on their communities because they're so few in number. Half of the people groups in our world. That's why we go in mission because the work is not done. There are still two billion people in our world who are unlikely to ever hear the gospel simply because there is no one there to tell them. That is why in many parts of the world, God reaches people without, through uh, dreams and visions. And God, God is not bound by, by anything. But there is no Christian there amongst them. Did you know that 87% of the non-Christians in our world do not know a Christian. 87% of people that are not Christians do not know a Christian. That is a challenge for us. How, what are we going to do about, if we want the whole world to know Christ, what are we going to do about all these people groups there? They're not all easy. have to learn another language in most cases if we want to reach them. It takes long-term commitment. That's why we want missionaries to go long-term. You're not going to do it in a short-term trip. You need to commit years 
to learning their language and learning their culture if we're going to really reach a people group for Christ. But that's what we need to do. But I don't want you to think that all these 7,000 or so or 6,500 people groups are all remote communities, tribal people that have never ever heard the gospel. A recent survey showed that it is the sophisticated, wealthy nations of Europe that are the most closed to the gospel. That may come as a surprise to you, but the spiritual darkness is greater in Europe than just about anywhere in the world. Europeans once had the gospel. They once sent missionaries out all around the world. Now they've given up on the gospel. They've abandoned the truth. They've replaced it with secularism and a secularism that places a false optimism in themselves and in human ability. We are our own saviours, they say. We don't need God. We don't need the church. And And they've closed their minds off to the gospel. In reality, they are alienated from God and enemies in their minds. That's why in CMS we're sending missionaries not only to the developing nations, to people groups held captive by other faiths, but also to the sophisticated world that's held captive by false philosophies. There is suffering in the service of God. De Bruyne suffered, murdered by his one and only convert. That family I mentioned, the Pearsons, when they took their young family to live up in Arnhem Land, they were under no illusion whatsoever that it would be easy. There is suffering for the gospel. But we go because we believe in the power of the gospel. We're committed because we, we are convinced about the gospel. We, we are committed because we've experienced it in our own lives and we're committed because we know it's only through the gospel that people will actually truly be set free. Only in the gospel that people will be reconciled back to the, to, to the Heavenly Father. And it's only through the gospel that people will find genuine hope. Let me pray, but first, but also let me say that uh, I'd love to be able to chat with any of you today afterwards if you'd, if you'd like to follow up on any of the things we've talked about or any of the opportunities that there are today to serve around the world uh, in reaching a world that knows Jesus. So please uh, come up and chat to me afterwards if, you've got, uh, if you want to have a further conversation about that. So let me pray and commit these things to the Lord. Father, we want to thank you for the gospel. We want to thank you that, that the gospel is going out into all the world and you are building your church right throughout the world. People from every nation, language and tongue are coming into this one church. But Father, we're also aware of, of the billions of people that have yet to even hear the gospel. And we do pray, Lord, that you might put that on our hearts, that we might have that challenge on our hearts, that we might uh, be committed in whatever way we can, whether it's to pray, whether it's to give, or whether it's to go, that we might genuinely uh, see people hear about Jesus so that more people might come to know him as Lord and Saviour. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. 
St Matt's West Bend Hills 6pm congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus, to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmats.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon. Thank you.